1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour, when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Welcome, everybody, once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged in, of course, to the new AM nine ninety and FM one hundred one point five. The Word in Orlando. Good, good call letters. Just stay tuned to them all day long. Uh, now uh, Pete Paquette gets us on the air. He's our engineer. Andrew Herdlisk is the producer, and I want to introduce to you Alice Matagora. She's in Orange County, California. Leader Development Initiatives Program Coordinator. <laughs> For the Navigators and Navigators Mm -hmm. Collegiate Staff at the University of California at Irvine. Her book is called How to Save the World Disciple Making Made Simple. The book, uh, the pub date has been pushed to August. But we've got Alice with us. Welcome to Orlando, Alice. Welcome to Orange Um, County, uh, Florida.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And hello from Orange County, California.
2: (laughs) Tell me about the other Disney. Tell me about your book, Alice. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, how to save the world is disciple-making made simple. I mean, it sounds kind of audacious, you know, that this huge, we could save the world, but when you really think about it, that's what Jesus calls us to partner with him to do, which is to to advance his kingdom into the nation, by through spiritual generations of laborers, living and discipling among the lost, and, and that's hopefully, what this book will help the everyday person to do, because, I mean, I really believe anybody can do it. I, I started disciple-making as a college student who just started walking with Jesus, and I was so captured by this idea that, like, God could use me? Like, He could use this broken girl from a non-Christian home to to help save the world? Like, that's so audacious. That's crazy. But he does. He invites us into his story. So I'm excited to hopefully empower and equip everyday people to believe that they can do the same and to give them tools to to be able to do so.
2: Alice, I want you to comment on this statement. God God wants to use you right where you are. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. God wants to use you right where you are. You know, when I think about that, I think about the Samaritan woman you know uh this woman who had no theological training the woman in, in John 4 no theological training broken background she was super marginalized in her community as uh just because of her history but then also as a woman you know women back in that day and age were property and 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 she was a Samaritan you know Jews had no dealings with Samaritans that's what it says in John 4 and so the disciples Sure, they, were, they weren't going to be the ones that would reach the Samaritans. But after her encounter with Jesus, you see she goes back into her community, the Samaritans, that the disciples would never reach. And she she says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And as a result of her sharing how Jesus impacted her life, this resulted in many, this whole community coming to faith in Christ, having salvation because of her faithfulness. Now, now this is a group of people that she lived with. She, she I don't know, maybe worked with, played with, and, and God used her right where she lived, worked, and played to bring His gospel to this community that the Jews would never, probably never want to enter into to reach. And so I think it's the same way when we think about disciple-making. We think, you know, maybe it's the job of a pastor or people in full-time ministry. It's not. It's like I'm just an everyday person. I'm just a mom. I'm just yeah. You know, I throw sticks and rocks in the water with my son, and and, and that's my job. You know, uh, but but God can use me in my mom's group. You know, God can use me with my son's parents. You know, his his uh, my my no no my son's friend's parents like God could use me in so many different ways that a pastor may never ever be able to reach like just right where I live, play and work in my everyday life. God can do that for anybody. You know, he could do that with the barista at Starbucks. He could do that with the CEO of of a Fortune 500 company. You know, he could he could do that anywhere as long as his people are faithful to to make disciples right where they. Right where they are.
2: My guest is Alice Matagora. We're talking about how mm-hmm. to save the world. Alice, uh-huh. Alice, I want you to explain to us how did Jesus disciple? How did he go about it? What can we learn from him?
3: Oh, man, there is so much to learn from him. Um, you know, I, I think Jesus, he, if you think about it, <laughs> Jesus discipled these his disciples before they were Christian, you know, <laughs> where we think discipleship, it, you know, sometimes I think that we can limit discipleship to just helping people who are already Christians. But Jesus, He gave the disciples everything they needed to know from not being Christian to not like really knowing what they were looking for in a Savior to uh, helping them learn how to have a relationship with God to helping them equip them for his ministry and his work to eventually carrying on this calling and this great commission to the ends of the earth. He did that through spending time, life on life, with these disciples. He lived life with them. He showed them and modeled for them how to interact with God. This is how you pray. This is what these scriptures mean. He spoke in parables to help his disciples better understand what really the heart of God was and what he was communicating through the scriptures. And and he, I mean, he really like pushed them into the deep end to like do the ministry that that he called them to. He gave them the Holy Spirit. He gave them instruction, and then later on, they debriefed together. They <laughs> talked about it afterwards. Like, okay, what happened? Why didn't it work when you tried to cast out the demon and and nothing happened? You know? Um, and he, they saw him in everyday life. I, I think that's the most important piece is. You know, in our modern context, I think we think of discipleship as just one-on-one coffee shop discipleship. Let's just sit down together, and I'm going to share with you something, and then we'll go about our everyday lives separately. Um, but but Jesus, I mean, the disciples saw Jesus live out His kingdom values. He, they saw, like, what would grieve the heart of God, you know? They saw what would make the heart of God really angry they saw what jesus would do when he encountered the marginalized the sick the, the demon possessed uh, the paralyzed you know uh, and they saw that he he moved towards those that were outcasts with compassion and with and so i think that you know I, I repeat this a lot just in my leadership development work It's more more is caught than taught you know, uh, the, the teaching part, it was so important. But because Jesus shared his entire life, his entire life with his disciples, I think the disciples caught a lot about how to live a life that's honoring to God and how to make disciples of their own for Jesus.
2: Um, My guest, and she's in uh, Southern California, Alice Matagora. Okay, Jesus' command, Alice, to go and make disciples okay. can feel complicated. It can feel overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So where do you start? What's it look like? How do you go about this? How do you fit this into a busy schedule? What can you, mm, te- what can yeah. you, what can you tell us?
3: Yeah, I think that's so important. Well, the book, um, the book, that wrote, How to Save the World, the Making it Made Simple, it, it's... Um, Based off of research that was commissioned by the Navigators, this international uh, missions organization, um, that we commissioned the Barna Group, which is a Christian research firm, to do research on the state of sex making in the American church. And uh, what it came down to is a lot of Christians, they don't know that it is a command, it's that Jesus calls all of his followers, all students of Jesus to go and make disciples. And I think, so I think that really before we even start to make disciples, we have to be convinced that that's part of our calling as believers. And to be convinced, I, I think we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to read about Him and His life. If, if we are students of this Master Jesus, then we want to be like Him. And when we when we just Read through the scriptures and see how Jesus lived his life. We see he devoted much of his life and his attention to making disciples for himself. That's that's I mean, that's what he, he did a lot of really cool stuff, like healed and then um, cast out demons and everything. But but really you see this developmental arc throughout the gospels of Jesus pouring into people, His disciples, who would pour into others and who would continue this line of generations. And so, really, I think it starts with being convinced that this is a calling for all followers of Jesus to make disciples who will make disciples. When I am convinced of that, that that is my calling as a follower of Jesus, then I, I am better able to bring it into my schedule, then I, than I can prioritize it a lot i I'd make it a bigger priority do you know what i mean um and so I think starting with that but um but also really getting connected with the motivation the why, why should I fit this into my already packed schedule you know and I think that that comes down to connecting with why, why is jesus what has he done in my life? Why, why would I want to share jesus why what is the benefit of of me helping somebody else follow Jesus or helping somebody else help somebody else know jesus and and so I think there's a lot of different reasons for some people it's enough because Jesus says so that's enough you know but for others, you know for me, I think about my life before I came to Christ, and I think, wow gosh what a what a big mess and i and and then I compare it to my life now, the fullness of life that Jesus offers. You know, John 10, 10, it says that he offers life to the full. And I'm like, man, I want my non-Christian friends, my friends who don't know Jesus, I want them to experience this life to the full. I want them to experience it in their marriages, in their relationships, in their families, in, in, in within their parenting. You know, I want them to experience this life to the full. Everywhere, like this is important. Like everything else that I do in my work, it's gonna fade away. Maybe, well, hopefully, hopefully not. Since I've been in ministry, but hopefully it won't fade away. But, um, but like the things of this world will fade away. The kingdoms that we build in this world will fade away. But God's kingdom, the souls of men, His Word, who He is—like that remains forever. And so, am I willing to make that a priority? To share this fullness of life with those who don't have it and those who I see around me who are hurting, that that's what motivates me and connects me to my why, which which helps me to keep disciple-making as a priority when things get crazy. You know, I have two young kids. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and, and I have a three-month-old, and I work, and my husband works, and life is crazy. But, you know, I still just really believe this is God's call for me. And, and I hope that I... Never stop, you know, that, that it will always be a priority in my life. So that's kind of more theoretical out there, you know, but, but more concrete, tangible ways that we can begin disciple-making. I mean, think about people who are in their life, right around you. And we don't need to go out of our way to find people who need Jesus, who could benefit from walking with Jesus. We just need to open our eyes to so the people are around us, um, I interview many everyday disciple-makers. I know people can say, it's not fair, you're in full-time ministry, this is your job, of course you think disciple-making is really important. But um, but I, in, in my book, I interview seven everyday disciple-makers who prioritize disciple-making in different stages of life as moms, as um, business strategists, as college students, and so many of them Reference that they are just open to the Holy Spirit's leaning to who God has placed around them, who so they can begin to have spiritual conversations with, who so they can begin to share things from the Word that they're, they're already reading. It, it's just as simple as just talking about what they're learning and their relationship with God, what Jesus is sharing with them, and giving them a taste of how neat it is that the living God, He talks to us, and He wants to have a relationship with us.
2: Folks, my guest, and she has a fascinating ministry. She's in Southern California. Alice Matagora, her book, How to Save the World, Disciple-Making Made Simple. And speaking of books, uh, my latest book Mm -hmm. is out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-day devotional, and every devotion has a sports story. A sports anecdote, a sports theme, and then and then segues into the devotional part. Uh, head up to Amazon when you order How to Save the World by Alice Matagora. Get a copy of Every Day is Game Day. I, I think you'll uh, be blessed. Well, folks, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Back for more with Alice right after these messages.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's
2: Pat. Alice Matagora is our guest. She's in Orange County, California. And Alice, I'm fascinated with the Navigators. Can you, mm-hmm. can you tell us more about the Navigators in their ministry?
3: Yeah, you know, every different ministry kind of has their own approach to what how to advance the gospel. You know, as Christians, we're all about advancing God's kingdom to the end of the world. We want to see every nation, tribe, tongue praise Jesus at the end of days. And so the Navigator's little slice, the way that we believe God has called us to advance the gospel is through helping others know Jesus, make him known, and then helping them help others do the same. So through disciple-making, making disciples for Jesus who will make disciples. And and so the Navigators, what I really love is that their ministry, it, it's um, it's really focuses so much on the one-on-one relationship, the one-on-one discipleship, or one in a small group discipleship relationship, believing that that investment will reap like exponential dividends in the kingdom of God, as each generation is faithful to continue to make disciples who will make disciples so i um I first met the navigators in college as a college student. I came in really pretty in a in a very low spot. I was a believer, but I didn't know how to have a relationship with God at that point. I didn't know that you could have a relationship with God, and so the previous college ministry I was a part of was very rich. With high emotional experiences and events. And when, when I was caught up in the emotions, I, I felt so close to God. But then when I was by myself in my college dorm room, I, I felt like he was as distant as the stars in the sky. I didn't know him any better. And so when I, when I transferred to the University of California in Irvine, I knew that I wanted to say no frills, not sexy group. And so I found the Navigators because I had heard of their reputation for going really deep in the Word, uh, for helping people learn how to have a relationship with God. And I wasn't discipled that year, but I was around this disciple-making culture, and I noticed that uh, my roommate and I, my college roommate and I, um, she was disciples at the time, and I wasn't. And I noticed she just grew exponentially faster than I did in my walk with Jesus. I mean, I grew so much already just by kind of being in that culture of people wanting to read His Word and wanting to have a relationship with God. But being discipled, somebody helping me along the way, somebody further down the road in their relationship with Jesus, walking me hand in hand and helping me, that that catalyzed this growth. And then when she, my discipler Jane, when she showed the vision that God could use me, me, broken (laughs) me, you could use me in my life to do the same with somebody else who's uh, not as far down the road. That, that just blew my mind. I, I, I loved that idea. It, it you know, ministry, you know, we saw during the COVID season when we were in the pandemic, you know, I think a lot of churches and ministries are scrambling, like, what do we do now? Everything is shut down. We can't have events the way that we normally do. We can't gather in large groups. And really, I think that Because the Navigators are so focused on individual relationships, relationships continued. You know, we could still have those disciple-making times. It didn't really change our mission much because our mission is so portable. As long as you have people, as long as you have relationships, you're able to continue the mission. It's not dependent on structures or systems or events or anything, but just you, your relationship with Jesus, and somebody else who's going to meet with you. I I love the simplicity of it.
2: Alice, tell me more about the Barna Group. What do you know about the Barna Group?
3: I know that they are a Christian research firm. <laughs> um, so I, I know that with this study, they they survey they surveyed Christians. Um, I think a representative sample of Christians all across the the U.S. and, and they survey um, different groups on different topics. So I know that they did a lot of studies during COVID about. Whether people were attending church, um, I know that they've done surveys for younger generations about why they're not engaging in religious services in the same way that that we've seen older generations do, so they they just they perform, I guess, perform research, conduct research uh, on various topics related to the Christian faith in America.
2: My guest and she's in California, Southern California, is Alice Matagora. She's teaching us about disciple-making made simple. So, Alice, what do you want people to take from your book? More importantly, what do you want them to take from our conversation here on the radio?
3: Hmm. Uh, What I hope that people take away from the book and what I hope that people take away from our conversation is that Anyone, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. But not only that, like God has given you everything that you need to do. You can do it. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have so much theological training or exposure or anything like that. If you have your relationship with God, a Bible, and someone who wants to learn more about your relationship with God. You can make disciples. You you can partner with God. You can join Him in this world-saving work that He calls us to. And I believe that, I truly believe that in doing so, we get to experience this piece of God's heart, His Father heart that longs for His lost children to come back to Him, to know Him, that delights in having relationships with Him. We, we get to experience that part of God's in a way that we, we wouldn't be able to otherwise. And so it is worth it to prioritize this call in your life. It is worth it to make it important in, enough to maybe even set aside some of the other important things in your life. It is important and you can do it. I believe that you can do it because if that broken college girl could do it more than 20 years ago, if I could if I could do it 20 years ago, Anybody can. I, I really, sincerely, truly believe that.
2: How do you explain and put in perspective the joy, Alice, of leading somebody to Christ? Hmm.
3: hmm. Yeah. You know, so I'm a new. Uh, I'm a relatively new mom, and, uh, I you know I tell my son he I and mean, he's more verbal, so so I would tell my son so much, like, you know, I love you, I love you. And he would always parrot it back to me. You know, he he would say, I don't know that he really, really understood it, but sometime around his um, second birthday, he was playing with his toys. And then he looks up at me and completely unprompted, he says, I love you, Mama. And it just melted and burst my heart into a thousand million pieces to hear that little boy acknowledge and recognize that that he loves me, his mom. And, and I wonder if that's just the smallest, smallest little taste of what it's like to lead somebody else to Christ, the joy that when somebody recognizes I am lost without my Savior, but I have found him and my life is turned, it's turned around because I have found the one who loves my soul, I found the one who offers me this living water that I may never thirst again. Like it's, it's, it's just a small taste of what that joy is like to, to God, but then also to us as we as we partner with God. We, we I just love that God invites us into that um, into that joy with Him. It's so kind of Him. He doesn't have to. You know, He could do all the work Himself, but I think there's something something about the human connection that that God wants to keep us connected to, the joy of human connection and the joy of new life found in Him and and partnering with Him in that.
2: Well, folks, my guest, and she's been fascinating, and I want to just remind you that her book will be coming out in August. Make note of that. How to Save the World, Disciple-Making Made Simple. Alice, Matagora, Alice, great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me.
3: Yeah, thank you.
2: Well, folks, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. Uh, Go up to the website, OrlandoDreamers.com. Orlando's become the 17th largest media market in North America. Ready to become a Major League Baseball city, and we need to hear from you. Uh, We need to show baseball that we've got a uh, a fan base here that really wants this. So we need to hear from you, com. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM
1: 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Alice Matagora,
2: our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about her book, How to Save the World. Well, we go from Orange County, California to Austin, Texas, and we found Abby Johnson, CEO of And Then There Were None, a nonprofit organization to help abortion clinic workers leave the abortion industry. Her book, Fierce Mercy, Daring to Live Out God's Compassion in Bold and Practical Ways. Abby, welcome to Orlando, and uh, I know we're going to have a fascinating chat. How are you?
3: Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Abby, before we dive into the book, I am fascinated with your work yeah, in the whole area of the abortion industry, how did you get into that work, and what motivates you? what drives you, and what can you tell us? what can you teach us?
3: um well, I mean, I got involved um, as a college student, not really knowing much about um, not really knowing much about abortion at all not not knowing much about parenthood um and just Got involved as a pretty naive young person, and um, then once I was there ended up sort of working my way up through the abortion industry and uh, then worked as an abortion clinic director there uh for Planned Parenthood and ended up being there for uh, for eight years and well you know i wasn't a i wasn't a doctor i wasn't a nurse I was just an administrator and um and then uh ended up leaving after actually being involved in an abortion and seeing a live ultrasound guided abortion procedure and after seeing that, I knew that there was you know, life in the womb, there was humanity in the womb, and I knew that if those two things were true, then I was on the wrong side of of the abortion debate. And so I ended up leaving, and uh, ever since then, for the past 12 and a half years, I've been out advocating uh, for the unborn and, and for their mothers and trying to really the abortion industry for you know, what they're doing um, to our society.
2: And uh, Abby, the thing that really uh, disturbs me, for every uh, child that's aborted, uh, there's a family waiting out there to adopt as I understand it. Uh, so uh, yeah. it, it's just a tragedy, really a tragedy.
3: And uh, so- Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's true. There are so many, um, There are so many families waiting to adopt children, um, infant children. The problem right now, we're, the problem that we're facing right now in our country is that there are many adoption agencies actually closing their doors because they have so many families. They have so many couples waiting for a child but they have no children and mm. they just they can't keep their doors open to pay staff
2: well we need a lot of prayer there abby tell me about tell me about your book fierce mercy what's going on in your book
3: yeah so i've written this is my third book i wrote one book uh my first book called In Plan, and of course and that that was turned into a a, a The major motion picture, and um, you know that book really chronicled my life, sort of in and out of Planned Parenthood, how I got involved, and and then how I left. Um, Then I wrote a second book called "The Walls Are Talking," and that was a, a book of stories from you know working inside the abortion industry, a compilation of stories. And you know those books really, you know, focused on exclusively on abortion. And, uh, and that was great, but, you know, there's, <laughs> there's more to me, of course, than just being a, you know, former abortion industry worker. And I wanted to talk more about that. And, um, and so I, I want you know, I'm, I'm a mom of eight children really? and, uh, one of, yes. And one of our children is adopted and, um, and, you know, I, I run these, you know, two uh, nonprofit organizations. And, um, you know, I've been married to my husband for 16 years. And, and certainly that was a, uh, it, you know, our marriage was interesting because when I worked at Planned Parenthood, he was always pro-life. And so when we, when I left uh, Planned Parenthood, I mean, our marriage had to go through a pretty significant healing Um, healing. I mean, we had to go through a lot of healing as a couple. Um, And so we had a big shift in our marriage. And then, um, and, you know, there's just been a a lot that has happened um, in my life since, uh, since I left the industry that had nothing to do really with abortion, but just, Even my, you know, coming back into relationship with Christ, and so I wanted to talk about that, and I wanted to talk about, you know, just the mercy that God has shown me over and over again, and you know, how do we live that out every day? How do we accept God's mercy in our own lives? I think it's easy for us to say, well, you know, yeah, I know God has forgiven me for the things I've done, Um, but then how do we, you know, translate that into our hearts? How do we translate that into our lives? And how do we know? God has forgiven us? How do we forgive ourselves? And so I wanted, you know, to talk about that. And then, um, you know, I also just wanted to sort of talk about my family, being a mom, being a ministry leader, being a wife. Um, How do we love people that we feel like are unlovable in our own lives? How do we love our enemies? How do we do that well? How do we love well? Um, and how do we show the mercy that God has given us? You know, how do we show the mercy to others that God gives us each and every day? And so that's really sort of what the book is about, and I felt like it was, you know, God's mercy is something that I have experienced so much. I, I sort of wanted to just showcase what he's done for me.
2: Abby Johnson's in Austin, Texas. Her book, Fierce Mercy. And, Abby, you open your book with a chapter simply called Revealed... And then you segue into your second chapter, and it's called Voices. Uh, can you cover those first two chapters for us?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, <clears throat> the first chapter talks a lot about um, just me being on the side of my film, which was a you know sort of an interesting. Uh, For me, not not very many people are you know ever on the set of a film about their own life. Um, So that's sort of what that sort of what that um, that chapter is about. And just you know, I think it it was an interesting thing. I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, wow, that that's got to be really cool, um, sort of watching someone play out your life. But for me, it was actually. It was a moment where I really needed God's mercy tremendously in my life because I felt very embarrassed Um, watching someone play out the the greatest sins of my life and realizing, oh, my gosh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to watch this. Um, You know, potentially millions of people are going to see this on a really big screen. And um, it was I, I was humiliated and. Um, because of the things I had done, and so uh, it was a really interesting experience. I, I sort of talked about that. Um, yeah, and then uh, the you know the second chapter is is really just sort of about um, about how I started my my first uh, ministry. It, it talks about how we decided to expand our family uh, the way that we did. Um, just sort of how I started having to, how I, how I just, how I figured out how to start listening to God's voice in my life, um, after I, you know, after I reconnected, uh, with Christ and, and then sort of how I, how I grew to, you know, learn to discern, uh, God's voice, um, and yeah, I mean that's sort of what the first two chapters are about.
2: And then Abby, you make uh, uh, you segue into uh, these topics: healing in public and dangerous prayers. I want to hear more.
3: Yeah, I mean when I left Planned Parenthood, uh, I you know I was uh, I was very you know I was very new to the pro life movement. I didn't know much about the pro life movement at all, except for you know what I knew from being in. a—
0: you know, an abortion
3: clinic director. Um, and now sort of, you know, thrown out into the spotlight and, um, you know, healing in public is really, it talks about that, um, just how I, you know, I messed up a lot. Um, I said the wrong things. I, you know, um, I made mistakes and I did all of my healing. I mean, I started speaking a month after I'd left the abortion industry and, um, You know, I think there was sort of this level of perfection that was expected from the pro-life movement that I was supposed to know all the things, say all the right things, when just a month before I'd been helping to kill babies. Um, And I was, you know, sort of crucified um, for, you know, a lot of different things. Um, But then also, you know, there were people that that sort of came alongside me, that stood beside me, um, that understood, you know, where I was in my journey, that supported me. And so I talk about that. I talk about the difficulty of of healing in public. It was not ideal, but, you know, God walked me through it. Um, and so I just sort of talk about uh, what that was like, the difficulties uh, of that, but then also the, the mercy and grace that, that God gave me during that time.
2: Abby Johnson is with us. By the way, Abby... Uh... What is the best part about living in Austin, Texas? Uh, The food. (laughs) Really?
3: That's the best part of living in Austin, Texas. The food. (laughs) Yeah, the food's awesome here.
2: And that city just continues to grow,
3: doesn't it? It does. You know, it's an interesting place in Texas. It's a... It's uh, very, very very progressive, very liberal, so you just have to sort of take the good and and leave the bad. But I tell people all the time, it's like, it's living in a mission field here, for sure. Um, It is, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. It's a very unchurched place. Only 27% of the population here in Austin Mm. uh, attends church, so... Uh, lots of work to do, lots of lots of people to reach. So yeah, it's an interesting place for sure.
2: Abby Johnson's book is called Fierce Mercy, and Abby, we've arrived at uh, the topic called the victim and the victimizer, and then the chapter following that is called the mirror. Uh, so, so tell us more.
3: Yeah, um, the victim and the victimizer is a chapter where I talk a lot about. Um, sort of my ministry, and then there were none. Um, When I started and then there were none, I thought, oh, you know, great. The life Movement is going to love this. This is going to be awesome. People are going to think this is great. We're, you know, saving souls. We're, you know, getting people out of the abortion industry. We're, you know, bringing them to Christ. And uh, I was mistaken. Um, you know, when I first started, and then there were none, um, the pro-life movement was, uh, it was a population of people that the pro-life movement, by and large, had not thought about rescuing. And uh, at that time, they were really not ready to think about it. Um, and they were basically just saying, you know, <laughs> we thought, why would we want to help people like that? That was sort of, you know... Uh, they were like, you know, they sort of made their bed. Now they have to lie in it. And this is just not a group of people that we want to help. And that was that was interesting for me um, because these were the same people who supported me, yet they didn't want to support other people like me. And uh, so that was when I really realized that I had a lot of work to do in my own movement, helping people understand that, uh, the physical life of the baby was not the only that was not the only thing that we're willing that we're trying to work toward saving in the pro-life movement, but that souls matter uh, just as much, and if not more and so um, so yeah, so that's sort of what that chapter is about and then uh the mirror is actually a chapter I wrote um, talking about a specific Uh, case of uh, Kermit Gosnell and uh, a situation that we had with a specific worker that uh, that worked with Kermit Gosnell and an interaction that we had with her.
2: My guest is Abby Johnson, the book Fierce Mercy. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM
1: 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Author Abby Johnson is with
2: us from Austin, Texas. Her book, Fierce Mercy, Daring to Live Out God's Compassion in Bold and Practical Ways. Abby, we've arrived at uh, topic number seven in your book it's a quote whose choice your choice what's that about
3: um yeah so there was a uh there was a time in texas um it was in 2013 as right uh right when my son was born i talked i talked a little bit about that um and uh, my son had just been born, and there was sort of this famous <laughs> uh, famous filibuster by uh, Wendy Davis, who was a, a senator in Texas, and we had an omnibus bill, and, and she was filibustering this, this pro-life bill. And I, I went to the Capitol at that time with my son, who was only five days old. And um, it was a really interesting time at the Texas Capitol. They had— uh, the movement had busted in thousands of people. And I talked about the scene at the Capitol that day. I ended up uh, running into someone that I used to work with um, in the abortion clinic that day, and I talked about our interactions, what that was like. I talked about a really profound moment that I, I had in the rotunda of the Texas Capitol um, right in the in the middle of the, of the sea of these all of these pro abortion people um, that really impacted me, um, and that was one of the chants that these that these women were yelling. People were yelling, "Whose choice? Um, uh, your choice?" And you know and they were saying, "Whose choice? My choice." And so uh, that was uh, that's that's what that chapter is about. And the next chapter. Uh, the lens of mercy is um, talking again about the Gosnell case and the um, interaction with the worker, um, one of the workers from Gosnell's clinic, and um, just the really um, she, one of the workers has come through our ministry, and we had a, a really uh, miraculous interaction with her, encounter with her. Um, that it's it's almost hard to believe. People we'll just have to read about it. Um, it would take too long to explain. But, um, yeah, it was really just a miracle how we ended up getting in contact with her. And uh, I, I write about that in that chapter.
2: Uh, tell me about uh, a deeper purpose that you write about in the middle of your book. What's that mean?
3: Um, that is several sort of stories of people that came through our ministry and then there were none, just the way that we that we help that we have helped them. Um and you know talk sort of about you know why, you know, what what was the purpose that God gave me and it sort of help I, I talk about how, you know, how I was trying to find the purpose that, that God had given me, you know, in coming to the pro-life movement and, and, you know, how God can use all things. God does use all things for, for his glory. And, you know, at the point in time where I was like, you know, God, what are you, what are you trying to do with with my past eight years in the abortion industry? And, and this was it, you know, I finally realized this is it, you know, helping bring, former abortion clinic workers to a place where they are, you know, healed, where they are, um, where they are in relationship, you know, with, with Christ. That was it. That, you know, he was making good, he wastes nothing and he was, you know, not wasting those eight years and he was making good of them. And, um, and so that's sort of what that, that chapter um, is about and that that's really sort of what uh chapter chapter ten is about as well really uh helping to um, challenge people uh you know how we see our enemies um, how we love our enemies, and you know what do we do practically for them how can we practically love them um, and you know how do we how do we show love to people who maybe we see as unlovable
2: Abby Johnson is with us the book is called fierce mercy uh Abby when you get to the chapter Jude's gift uh what can you tell us what what's the story here
3: yeah um that uh so chapter 11 and and 12 is uh talks about um My, uh, talks about the adoption that we went through, um, with our son, Jude. It talks about that whole adoption experience and sort of, um, my, just my journey through, uh, through motherhood, um, and, um, yeah, and then, I mean, and, and also, you know, I would say that um, the the next chapter um, out of the Salt Shaker just sort of talks about um, how I, you know, progressively moved into ministry in, in different ways, um, how I, you know, was able to, uh, connect my motherhood into into you know various ministries and then um, and then special delivery was actually um, about uh having my twins and which was really uh beautiful and and I you know talk about how I've had two abortions in my life and you know God can really redeem our past and um, you know now he's you know, blessed me with these eight children. And, um, you know, like I said, he wastes nothing. And, um, so I, you know, just talk a lot about that. My husband and I had gone to Rome and, um, and, you know, we had, you know, prayed that, you know, God would bless us with, uh, you know, one more child and he blessed us with twins. And so, uh, it's just really, you know, beautiful how, how God can make all things new.
2: Abby, you end your book with a chapter called the echo, uh, explain that.
3: Yeah, um, I, end, I end the book with um, a, a story about going to uh, New York and being in Times Square. And uh, focused on the Family had asked me to uh, be a part of uh, sort of a live event where they were going to play a heartbeat and show a, a 3D ultrasound of a baby uh, in Times Square on this big, you know, the Jumbotron or whatever, you know, in Times Square. And um, they had asked me, I was pregnant with my last child, and they had asked me if I would be willing to do that. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And um, so I was there, and it was a surprise. Nobody in the audience knew that it was going to be me and that it was my child, um, you know, whose heartbeat they were hearing and whose face they were seeing on the monitor. And uh, my son, Fulton, was up on the screen. And, you know, Times Square is one of the busiest places, (laughs) you know, in the world. And, you know, so busy. There were protesters there. They were banging on drums. But when Fulton's heartbeat was played um, on these speakers, a friend of mine, Kevin McCullough, who's a, a writer, uh, he, he calls it a holy hush that fell over Times Square. He said it's, it's probably the quietest Times Square has ever been. Mm. And um, he said all you could hear was just the echo of this baby's heartbeat. And uh, he said it's one of the most powerful moments, one of the most powerful things he's ever experienced in his life. And that's really what what everyone says um, who was there that day. Um, all you could hear was just, you know, this pounding and this echo of this baby's heartbeat. And then you saw his face um, come into view on, you know, this, this huge jumbotron. And, um, you know, and that's just the power. That's the power of an ultrasound. That's the power of a child's. Heartbeat, and so that's that's how I that's how I ended um, that's how I ended the book Fierce Mercy, just showing the the power of a child in the womb, and how you know that that child can um, not only does it change you know the mother's life, but um, it can change the lives of of anyone who who witnesses that child's life in the womb.
2: My guest has been Abby Johnson, CEO of And Then There Were None. Author of Fierce Mercy, <clears throat> excuse me, daring to live out God's compassion in bold and practical ways. We have a wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here on the Pat
2: Williams Saturday Power Hour. Always so pleased when you plug in with us. Uh, now, today, Alice Matagora was our first guest, uh, talking about her book, How to Save the World Disciple Making Made Simple, and then Abby Johnson joined us. Uh, talking about her book, Fierce Mercy, daring to live out God's compassion in bold and practical ways. And then I uh, mentioned to you earlier my latest book. It is called Every Day is Game Day, a uh, 365-day devotional. Every story, every day has a sports theme to it. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, folks, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour airs, well, every Saturday right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're always so honored and so pleased when you join us. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you richly, and we'll see you next weekend. Thank you
1: for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word